the typical use failure rate of the pill is 9%. So 9% of women that use the pill fall pregnant, whereas the typical use failure rate of the fertility awareness method is only 1.8%. Hello and welcome to the Feminine as Fuck podcast. I'm your host, Monica Yates, a period and women's life coach, where I help women to harness the power of their period and connect back to their true superpowers. In these episodes, we will be talking about all things periods, vaginas, hormones, women's health, sex, confidence, food, femininity, and all the stuff that goes through our heads. You will walk away from each episode with new nuggets and truth bombs, as I don't seem to have a filter and I love talking about all the shit that people are too afraid to say, but everyone is thinking. Hello, friends. We are back with another episode. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. You know how people do like, you know... um, I don't know, like Freestyle Fridays or like um, Tuesdays with Tilly or like something, like they use their name. I was like, we should do like Mondays with Monica. But then I was like, actually, that could be a really good idea. (laughs) I was going to talk myself out of it, but actually now I'm thinking that could be a good idea. Like I could then do a GIF on like just a random nugget for that week on Mondays. Oh my God. Would you guys be keen for that? That's just an idea. In case you don't already know me quite well, I tend to, um, get an idea and then I just go with it and I go hard. I like, like, for example, as soon as I decided I was doing a podcast, I like had it all ready to rock and roll within like two days. And then it was just a matter of waiting from iTunes to, um, accept it. So, uh, yeah, I flip things around really quickly. I like put my head down, bum up and get shit done. Anyway, today what I want to talk to you guys about is a really important thing. I mean, everything that I talk about is important, but, um, I, I get, it was actually sparked by, um, a girl that had sent me an Instagram message and I can pull it up, but basically she was just saying to me, um, like what are my thoughts on the pill, blah, blah, blah. Um, she's been getting really, really bad migraines. So she went off it and then the doctor, and she was still getting migraines. So the doctor said, let's put you on the mini pill. And she was like, what are your thoughts on the mini pill? And I was like, I'm going to do a podcast on this. Um, I said to her, what, why do you need to go on the pill? And she was like, well, for birth control, like I don't want to get pregnant. And I was like, bow, bow. okay, this, and I was going to leave this to maybe like a little bit later. Cause I have a long ass list of things I want to discuss. And I feel like I should be releasing two podcasts a week because I have that much that I need to talk to you guys about. And I feel like you need to have known it yesterday and we cannot be waiting for a podcast to come out each week. Although that would be really nice and I could then pace myself. I just don't even know if that's even a possibility. Anyway, so today what I'm going to talk about is non-hormonal birth control. Yes, there is a form of non-hormonal birth control and it's besides condoms because that is also a form of non-hormonal birth control in case any of you did not know that. But I also know that a lot of us, you know, we, we, we say, yeah, 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 condoms, condoms, but we're also like, yeah, they fucking are annoying. They totally ruin the mood. Guys don't like them as well. We don't like them as well. It's just not as good as having like the usual sex. Let's just be frank here. So yes, I'm going to say safe sex always, especially with like, obviously with like a new partner and stuff. But once you've been with somebody for a while and you both know that you are as clean as a cucumber, then you don't really really want to be having sex with condoms because for most of us, they are unenjoyable, especially like the vegan ones and stuff. They tend to be, if you've got a really great vegan brand that don't make you feel like you've had sandpaper, sandpaper shoved up your vagina, 
then um, please let me know because I would love to share it with everybody. But for the ones that I've tried, I am waddling like a fucking duck the next day because it feels like somebody has literally shoved sandpaper up my vagina and then rubbed it up my vagina. And it's just not that pleasant. So yeah. Anyway, so what I'm going to be talking about today is the fertility awareness method. And the fertility awareness method is basically, in a nutshell, knowing when your fertile phase is in your cycle and then avoiding having sex with in that phase or using a barrier method like a condom or um, or if you want to fall pregnant, then having double as much sex during that phase. So really, it's just about knowing when you're fertile because you base your, I don't know, your sex calendar around that time. So fertility awareness method, also called FAM, F-A-M, which you might have seen around it. So Firstly, avoiding pregnancy is not as difficult as we have been made as we have had it made out to be. I don't know about you, but when I was in like school and it was sex ed, it was basically like if you look at a boy, you will fall pregnant, or if a boy looks at you. They they really place a lot of fear in our minds, you know? They don't paint the picture of oh how beautiful it is to be a woman and how blessed we are and how much we should cherish our fertility and our reproductive system and this is how it works. Do not worry, ladies, you can't fall pregnant at any time of your cycle. This is how you know when you're fertile. No, 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 it's not that. It is like beware, safe sex, you can fall pregnant at any time. And movies have a big role to play in this as well, mean girls being one of them. Um, total side note with movies. I did mention the show you in a couple episodes before this one. Um, and look, it is a good show. I won't deny that. Like it's got a good storyline. It's addictive. Yeah. 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 All that jazz, hot people in it, good sex scenes, the stuff we love, but, um, it really adds to this whole problem we have in society right now where women have this picture of men always being the bad guy and not in like a bad guy in like a sexy I like bad boy way like bad guy as in they're always going to use and abuse they you know we always need to be careful about who we're going on dates with because we could get kidnapped and murdered like the chance of that happening is so slim also listen to your intuition um but they really paint it in this light that make us really scared towards men and even I who I'm very I'm very aware of this stuff and even me I had to really catch myself after that show then being like I could I started catching myself being a little bit worried about guys all the time and just a little bit creeped out and I was like whoa where the fuck has this come from and it's come from the fucking show so please just be wary about that stuff because we have been conditioned by cultural conditioning and by our society and that's what is also repro it's also programming our subconscious so I want you to also just be care of be careful of that sort of stuff and what information quote-unquote information you're getting from like tv shows and movies because um you need to filter that shit out Okay, so avoiding pregnancy is a lot easier than we've actually been made out than, than it seems. Basically, what this is, is understanding that a woman is only fertile six days in her menstrual cycle. Actually, technically, bottom line is you need to have an egg, right? You need to have an egg in order for you to fall pregnant. If there's no egg there, well, there's nothing to be implanted. So you can't fucking have a baby. So you actually only have an egg for about 24 hours. Sometimes, very, very rarely, you can ovulate twice in a cycle. So I'll put that out there that, yes, of course, you can ovulate twice in a cycle. Yes, for some women, you know, their egg could last a little bit longer than 24 hours. But generally speaking, your egg lasts for 24 hours, okay? Now, the reason why we say you're fertile for six days of your cycle is because – well, that was the interesting word – is because – is because – 
um, you should count your quote unquote fertile days as the six days leading up to your day of ovulation, because that is how long sperm can actually live inside of you. Now, your cervical fluid and um, the environment in your uterus, if you have a good, healthy environment, which you should, and I hope you do, that is going to help the sperm live for longer, okay? So, and don't go then thinking, oh, well, let's be unhealthy and then it will be less likely that I fall pregnant because there's also this catch-22 of that if your immune system is overactive, because when every time a, an egg is implanted, it's a for, quote-unquote foreign object. So it's something a little bit foreign. It's this new set of cells. So um, your immune system can actually attack it. So really, really healthy women can struggle to get pregnant. And that's why a lot of like drug dealers and really unhealthy people um, can actually get pregnant quite easily because their immune system is a bit suppressed. So don't think that being unhealthy is the way to go. It's not necessarily the way to go at all. Okay, so you are quote-unquote fertile the six days leading up to ovulation because that is how long the sperm can live inside you. Now, six days is maximum. It's normally around three days, all right? And also, you know, it depends how healthy his little suckers are. So that's also another thing to factor in. So six days is when you're fertile, all right? So the important thing is to know the day of ovulation. Now, key thing here. The day of ovulation is not necessarily day 14. For the majority of women, it's actually not day 14. It's either before or after day 14. And side note, your day of ovulation can change from cycle to cycle depending on the stress and lifestyle factors that have maybe been added or changed in your life, okay? Because things like chemical exposure, things like major stress, things like, you know, emotional problems, all of those things can also affect whether you ovulate that cycle whether ovulation was delayed, whether it was brought forward, all of those things can affect it. So do not think that this you have um, the same ovulation day every single cycle because you don't necessarily. And this is something where apps can get a little bit um, wrong. And I will talk about it in a second or maybe another episode, depending how long this one goes on for, um, about why you should not be relying solely on apps. Even apps where they measure your temperature and stick it in, it's still an algorithm and an app still does not know what has been happening in your life and therefore what could have affected your ovulation day. All right, so firstly, the fertility awareness method is not the same as the rhythm method. The rhythm method that your doctors normally think you're talking about is based on a 28-day cycle where you ovulate on day 14. And spoiler alert, most women do not have that cycle, okay? So do not rely on that because if you rely on the fact that you ovulate on day 14, but in fact you're ovulating on day, you know, 18, then you have a likely chance that you could actually fall pregnant because you don't know when your ovulation day is. And of course, then if you are trying to avoid pregnancy, then that is not exactly the outcome you wanted. And that's why doctors can often place fear in our minds about this. But the fertility fertility awareness method and rhythm method are not the same by any means. The fertility awareness method is scientific because it uses observations of three signs of fertility, and that is your waking body temperature, your cervical fluid, and your cervix changes. Okay, so um, the other thing is if your doctor, like, you know, says that you aren't smart enough to use fertility awareness method or that it's silly because, you know, basically you're not smart enough to know your own body, I'm just here to say that you are. You absolutely are. Your body does not lie. An app can lie. Um, a million other things can lie. The rhythm method can fucking lie. But your body is going to tell you what's going on. And if you know how to look at it and you know how to actually read its signs and symptoms, you should not fuck it up. So 
As I was saying before, your fertile days are the five days before the day of ovulation and then your one day after. And if you want to get super safe, you can obviously add an extra day either side of that to just be as double as safe, okay? So after ovulation, you have a short 24-hour period where you can ovulate once more, like I was saying before, and then you get twins, if you were to then fall fertile, if you were then, sorry, um, to have the egg implanted, you could then have twins. But after that, you cannot ovulate, okay? You cannot ovulate for the rest of your cycle and you cannot become pregnant. You need an egg there to fall pregnant, okay? So when done correctly, the fertility awareness method can be as effective as the pill. So I want to explain just some of the stats. So the fertility awareness method, if you use it perfectly, the failure rate is only 0.6%. Whereas when you use the pill perfectly, the failure rate is 0.3. So it's got a very minute difference. The fertility awareness method, the perfect use rate Uh, the perfect juice failure rate is 0.6%, whereas the pill's perfect juice failure rate is 0.3%. So basically what it's saying is that 0.6% of women using the fertility awareness method perfectly can fall pregnant, pregnant, and um, women that use the pill perfectly, uh, 0.3% of them will fall pregnant. Very, very minute difference. But this is the key thing. Nobody does anything perfectly. Fertility awareness method maybe more so because you're actually being really diligent about it, but the pill... If you are out late at night, if you are drinking, if you are traveling, if you are on any course of antibiotics, if you are sick, if you skip a pill here or there, if you don't take your pill at the exact same time every day, guess what? You haven't done it perfectly. You've done a typical job of taking the pill. And get this, the typical use failure rate of the pill is 9%. So 9% of women that use the pill fall pregnant, whereas the typical use failure rate of the fertility awareness method is only 1.8%. Only 1.8% of women that are using the fertility awareness method fall pregnant when they are using the fertility awareness method in a typical way as opposed to a perfect way. That is a huge difference. 1.8% of women using the fertility awareness method fall pregnant, whereas 9% of women using the pill fall pregnant. That is absolutely crazy and mind-boggling. And There are millions of women um, every single year all over the world that fall pregnant whilst on the pill. Not only is it scary because they rely on the pill, but also because your nutrient stores are so depleted and so many studies have been done to show the detrimental effect of having a baby too soon after being on the pill or whilst falling pregnant on the pill. So it is something that you really want to be avoiding, not to mention it's stressful on the mum and the father because they weren't expecting it. Sorry, I was having a sip of my tea. Um, all right, so let's talk about the fertility awareness method and knowing the signs so you can actually use it properly. So the main sign is um, just understanding. The main thing is you need to understand when ovulation is, all right? So there's three different things to know when you're ovulating. And like I said before, it's your waking body temperature, your cervical fluid, and your cervix changes. So your waking temperature, let me explain this. Progesterone, and as I've been talking about, hopefully you guys are familiar with, if you haven't gone and listened to my other podcast in the beginning, I really recommend you do so because I've sort of outlined a lot of information about how your cycle works so that I don't have to keep explaining it every single podcast. So make sure you go back and listen to those podcast episodes because they're really useful um, in understanding your cycle. So your progesterone, like I've been saying, it rises the most in the second half of your cycle as your estrogen tapers off. So progesterone... um, 
is the ovarian hormone you make after you ovulate, okay? Progesterone raises your body temperature. That's why your metabolism increases in the second half of your cycle, and that's why you'll tend to get much hungrier in the second half of your fat cycle. Note, cravings and hunger are not the same thing. Cravings is where your brain is like, I want chocolate because you're bored or whatever, or you're sad or that sort of stuff, and you're craving it, but you're not hungry, whereas actually being hungry in your luteal phase is when you've like eaten and then an hour later you're starving again and you're like, what the fuck? I don't want food. I don't need food, but you are dying of starvation. And if you don't eat, you'll kill someone. That's hunger. And that's because of the progesterone. So just a side note on that. Okay. So before ovulation, your temperature should be between 36.1 and 36.5 degrees Celsius. Uh, Fahrenheit, that is, I'm going to say 96. And let me quickly Google that. Um, let me pause this recording and Google. Okay. So according to Google, 36.1 degrees Celsius is 96.98 degrees Fahrenheit and 36.5 degrees Celsius is 97.7 degrees Fahrenheit. So your temperatures need to be between those two temperatures um, before ovulation. Okay. And then after ovulation, your temperature increases by 0.3 degrees Celsius, and it will stay high until you get your period and then it will drop off. Or if you fall pregnant, it will stay high because your progesterone needs to stay high um, when you fall pregnant. Okay. So the thing I want to note though quickly is a few consecutive days of a small but significant increase in temperature shows that you ovulate. So you just need a few days, but consecutively to show that you are ovulating, but it needs to be a significant increase in temperature. It can't be like 0.05 degrees. It needs to be that 0.3 degrees Celsius increase. So as your temperature goes up after ovulation, it makes it easier to identify your safe days. But what you might've already picked up on is that this is after you've ovulated, not before. So you cannot know when you are about to ovulate from the temperature method until afterwards. And this is why the temperature method, I guess, is great because for one, it actually shows whether you've ovulated that cycle, which is really important to know for your overall health and for estrogen dominance and for PCOS and for amenorrhea and all that sort of stuff and to make sure they're not having anovulatory cycles. Um, And it's great to then also be able to know your approximate ovulation date, but don't rely on this every cycle because if you've had a major stress or a major emotional burden or stuff, like I've said before, it can obviously change the day of your cycle. Okay. So the thing with apps and why apps work is that with this computer algorithm, like, you know, um, natural cycles, for example, it does the rest of the sort of mass. So, you know, your safe days before you ovulate, if you ovulate on the same day, every single cycle disclaimer there. Okay. So once you get a regular cycle, you'll know then your approximate days of ovulation and you can then count by, by approximately five days. But this is where the cervical fluid aspect is really important to also monitor because it does preempt when you're about to ovulate and it does give you a little bit of warning signs. So cervical fluid is the next thing you want to be looking at for your fertility awareness method. Oh, by the way, with your waking body temperature. So what you need to do is make sure that you have a really good quality thermometer that measures your basal um, metabolic rate. So it's your waking body temperature and you have to test it before, uh, before you get out of bed in the morning. As soon as you wake up, you do not want to roll over and kiss your husband or your boyfriend. You do not want to have sex. That'll 
raise your temperature. You do not want to uh, have a glass of water. You do not want to go pee. You don't want to move your body at all. You open your eyes, you turn your alarm off and you put your thermometer in your mouth. And that's really important because it needs to be your temperature as soon as you wake up in the morning, because as soon as you start moving, your temperature is going to change. Um, and somebody asked me, Oh, bloody hell. I forgot about the questions on my Instagram that I asked you guys about. So, um, in case you haven't gotten the memo before I do a podcast each week, I'm going to put it in my Instagram, um, about any questions that you have on the topic. So somebody asked me how important, uh, it was Kim. Kim asked me how important is recording at the same time each morning and broken sleep. So it is, it's not necessarily important to be recording at the exact same time every morning, although that's beneficial. Um, if you, you know, change times every now and again, don't have a massive hissy fit. The thing is though, if you've gone to bed really, really late and that's why you've woken up later than usual, don't record your temperature because your temperature can be affected by the fact that you've had, you know, maybe, um, not as long sleep. Maybe you were out that night. You cannot do it if you've been drinking the night before, because that will also affect your temperature. If you have been really sick, that will affect your temperature as well. So do you can't measure it. You can't count it when you're really sick. You need to have had four hours of sleep. Um, to map to measure it. So for example, um, if you wake up at 4am to go to the bathroom and then you wake up again at 6am, you can't count it because you haven't had four consecutive hours of sleep. So, and, and if you're waking up a lot in the night, that's a whole other thing we need to address. Um, and that's, you know, that's something specific to you that we would work in session in um, my client sessions and my programs. Oops, just going to need a sip of tea again. One second. Um, but it's really important that you do have that four hours of consecutive sleep, Kim, um, before you measure your temperature. So if you have gone to pee in the middle of the night um, or at 4 a.m., don't then measure it at 6 a.m. Um, you need to have that four hours um, of consecutive sleep. Okay, um, let me see what other questions that I had to see if I should answer any of them now. Um, oh, Emily said thoughts on fam. It doesn't work if you use it accurately um, or exclude if you have sex after your period. I think she meant exclude or X, E-X, I don't know what that means. Um, okay, let's just say, so thoughts on fan doesn't work it doesn't work if you use it accurately. Like you would have heard the stats at the beginning that I was saying, Emily, yes, it does work, uh, it does work accurately. And Emily, this was Emily Pitter was who um, wrote this on my Instagram. Um, yes, it does work ac- accurately, more accurately than the pill if you do it properly. So um, if you do all these things properly and you make sure that you do them for about, you know, I'd say three months before you solely rely on it, that gives you a good enough chance to actually understand your cycle and understand your body and your signs so that you actually can know when you're ovulating. Um, Okie dokie. Now, the only reason why you could get pregnant, I'll quickly answer this, but not in great detail. The only reason you could um, get pregnant if you had sex on your period is if you ovulated like straight away after your period. And let's say you had sex on the last day of your period and you ovulated five days later, then you obviously could fall pregnant because the sperm can live inside of you. But typically for most women, and this is where knowing your day of ovulation is really important, you're not going to be ovulating five days after your period and you can't ovulate and have your period at the same time. It needs to have been that the sperm has lived inside of you since you had sex with your period to the day of ovulation. 
that's how that would work. So if you have a really, really, really early ovulation, um, that's where you may not be able to have sex in your period. And that's where your own bioindividuality is really important and understanding your own cycle. Okay. Let's talk about cervical fluid. So cervical fluid is a sign of ovulation, um, that can occur before ovulation. It feels and looks just like raw egg whites. So everyone said, I want to quickly just make a disclaimer that everybody's cervical fluid is different. There is no one size fits all. And that's why it's really important to get to know your cycle before you rely on this stuff. Because some women come to me saying, well, I don't have the cervical fluid they talk about, blah, blah, blah. Just monitor how your cervical fluid changes throughout your cycle, because those changes will give you an indication of when you're coming up to ovulation. And this is actually why I created my FemFlow um, uh, period journal which um, is going to be, uh, I haven't fully organized it whilst I'm as, at the point of this recording, but I'm going to be putting it on my website as a PDF that you can download and print for yourself. That'll be a cheaper option. Um, and then I'm also going to get it professionally bound and looking all beautiful if you'd like to get the proper thing. So I'll put the um, info in my description. But in my FemFlow journal, I actually have listed a whole pile of different symptoms that will give you an indication as to whether you're ovulating or not, whether you're coming up to ovulation. And what it allows you to do is really just track your cycle so you can look back, you can easily flick back, back month to month and notice your own um, changes in cervical fluid, which is going to give you a really key idea of where you are in your cycle and what day of ovulation uh, what day is ovulation for you and your particular body. Um, so leading up to ovulation, so what happens is you get your period, that's obviously blood, which is beautiful. Um, and I was reading um, a great book, uh, Womb Wisdom, I think that's called. Um, and she was talking about how with her partner, she was bleeding one time or something. And um, and he looked down and he was like, no, I love it. It's like your blood's the shape of a heart because it was between her thighs. And so it looked like a heart. And I was like, that is it actually gave me chills. I was like, that is so effing beautiful. Um, you know, if you can really start looking at your period blood as complete love, I mean, it is, it's a sign of fertility, it's reproduction. It's, I will, I will get into that in another episode about more of the, you know, beauty behind having a period. And, um, we'll talk about the more spiritual stuff and stuff and whatever in a new episode, another episode, but I really want to like crack down on this like important shit because I feel like you guys just absolutely need it. And I can't wait any longer because I need you guys to know the information. Okay, so what happens is that when you go to the bathroom, when you wipe, you will see the cervical fluid when you wipe. You've probably picked it out before. So many women say to me that they go to the doctors complaining of like vaginal discharge and the doctors say they have thrush. You probably do not have fucking thrush. You Like for majority of women, it's not actually thrush. It's actually the, the discharge is literally you ovulating. So please do not think that if you have any sort of cervical fluid that you have thrush or a yeast infection, because chances are you don't. Um, and if you do, there is an amazing product that I'm going to give a shout out to right now. Lindsay makes these incredible products. Her brand is called Love Mama Taro. I'll link them in the show notes as well. Um, but they are amazing. They are basically all natural um, products and they help balance your pH levels. Oh my God idea. I am literally going to message her after this and say, let's get you on the podcast. She knows a ton about, um, bacterial vaginitis, UTIs, 
um, all of that stuff, like an absolute ton. And maybe to a partner or no, I think a business partner also who's a chemist knows a ton as well. Um, I might see if they can come onto the podcast and share with you guys about that because they know so much about it more than I, more than me. I know like quite a decent amount about BV and UTIs and, and that sort of stuff, but they know a shit ton. So, um, I will try and get them on the podcast. Basically their products, um, they balance your pH levels in your vagina to help reduce thrush, reduce yeast infections, all um, bacterial vaginitis, all that sort of stuff. And they work like a fucking charm. I don't get bad thrush. I don't get UTIs often. I've, I've had one in my life when I was skiing and it was literally probably from a combo of sex and also like wearing jeans and like way too many clothes around my vag all the time because I was skiing. Um, and I've experienced BV once and it made it go away. Um, so I could not recommend this product enough. It's incredible. So I'll link them in the show notes. But what I was going to say was, um, I don't know what I was going to say. That was my side note. Okay. Back to cervical fluid. So this, the reason that we actually have cervical fluid is, um, the function of it is to the fluid basically carries the sperm to your eggs. And it provides us as a, it provides us, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot. It provides to us a red flag that we are fertile and that ovulation is coming up. So when you notice this change in ovulation, where you start to get more, you know, egg white, more creamy cervical fluid, that is your warning sign of we are about to ovulate. We are getting to that fertile stage. Either use a barrier method or don't have sex. So going through your phases, you have your period. That's what I was talking about. Okay. You have your periods, you're bleeding, then it'll dry up and you'll typically have about a week. Everyone's different though. Let's remember that everybody's different. Know your own cycle. You'll have about a week, a week or so where you've got like no cervical fluid. It's pretty like just nothing really is happening down there. Then, um, leading up to ovulation, you'll start to get the, um, the creamy cervical fluid, the sort of slippery, watery cervical fluid, and then you'll get the raw egg whites. They are your signs of like, we are leading up to ovulation. Okay. Then your, um, after ovulation, your cervical fluid will dry up for some women. They also, and this changes from me from cycle to cycle. Sometimes felt they might also get like more of like quite like a creamy, almost a bit like clumpy, um, cervical fluid. And that is, um, after ovulation, your cervical fluid start to dry up and, um, sperm is, it's much harder for it to get through into, um, your cervix and into your uterus, um, through your cervix, sorry, and into your uterus. And then it will dry right up during your luteal phase. Hence why women find the libido is a bit lower during this phase because estrogen started to drop off and then look at their period. So basically monitoring your cervical fluid from cycle to cycle, you'll get your own idea of what is the normal for you because our normals are all different for each of us. So, um, just monitoring that. Um, and that's basically your cervical fluid. So knowing those changes. All right. So the thing is that I do want to mention is that if you have estrogen dominance, you can see cervical fluid at any time that you have estrogen dominance. Um, and this is even if you have too much estrogen compared to progesterone, you can still see fluid at any time. For example, um, you can see it really early in your cycle if you have too much estrogen, and you can also see it after ovulation if you're not making enough progesterone. Okay, so seeing cervical fluid more than once doesn't mean you've ovulated more than once. It just means that you may have too much estrogen to your ratio of progesterone. So again, using my FemFlow um, period journal, tracking your symptoms, what, checking, making sure you're checking out, like checking out when I have um, online workshops and stuff is really key because um, 
then you can ask them all your questions and everything for your particular cycle. But monitoring your symptoms will give you a really good indication of where your hormones are at, and that can also explain changes in cervical fluid and that sort of stuff. Okay, the last part of the fertility awareness method is your cervix position. Hold on, I need another drink of water. I'm talking so much. My mouth is like... You can, um, you can tell when I talk a lot because I start to mumble over my words and, like, I can't say things correctly. Um, by the end of the day, if I've talked all day, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so exhausted. Um, okay, so the last thing is your cervix position. So your cervix position is a great thing to also measure because, again, it's not going to lie. Your cervix changes throughout your cycle because as you are getting fertile, it obviously wants the sperm to come up and go into your uterus so that you can fall pregnant. So when that happens, your cervix is going to get, get going to, oh, that was a really good mumble of words. It's going to get lower. It's going to get softer. And that, that makes it easier for the sperm to pass through into your uterus. Okay. So the softness and the position of your cervix are the final signs of ovulation. Remember that your cervix is the bottom point of your uterus. Um, it's where the opening is and where the menstrual blood comes out. There is an amazing, I'm going to, when this podcast comes out, I'm going to post something on Instagram about a picture, a drawing that I saw about where your cervix is and how far up it is. And like, you know, you can feel it with your finger. So I'll post it on my Instagram. So if you haven't seen that, go over to my Instagram now and you'll be able to see it because it was a really good, uh, it showed really, really well where your cervix is. Okay. Um, so the cervix is where the menstrual blood comes out and it is about one finger length inside your vagina. Um, but it changes, the, the depth of it changes throughout your cycle, okay? So it has a surprisingly hard texture um, during some parts of the cycle. And in the days before ovulation, your cervix will be a bit higher and a bit softer, all right? So noticing those changes is also really important. And in my FemFlow journal, I've got a spot where you can chart that. So you can also see your own changes throughout your cycle in terms of the texture and how deep um, your cervix is in terms of like how far up your finger has to go in order to fill your cervix. Something else that you can be using with the fertility awareness method but that is not something you want to be relying on is ovulation test strips. So you've got a luteinizing hormone surge or peak, which is another sign of ovulation. What it is, is it's a surge in a luteinizing hormone, which you can detect by a um, test strip where you basically just pee on it. So it's a urine test strip. So you start by testing um, at least eight days of your cycle. And when you see a positive LH test, it usually means that you will ovulate within the next 36 to 40 hours. So for some women, this can be a good sort of like, you know, another way to see, am I ovulating? But they're not always accurate. So you can't rely on that. Okay. Um, and the luteinizing hormone for anybody that doesn't know, luteinizing, luteinizing, my God, my mouth. Luteinizing hormone is the pituitary hormone in the brain that tells your ovaries to release an egg, basically for ovulation, okay? Um, but don't use, like I've said, don't use the luteinizing hormone um, ovulation test strips as a part of the fertility awareness method solely because once you detect the LH surge, it may be too late if you've already had sex, and it's help, but it is helpful for the following cycles. So that's something that you may want to start doing um, depending on, you know, maybe depending on whether you really want to have a baby and like how, how anal you want to be about the whole situation. Um, but I will talk another, I, I will do another episode just talking about how to improve ovulation. 
um, and how to boost that um, chance of falling pregnant if that is your goal, okay? Um, All right, so let me go through some of the other questions that you ladies had. Um, Why are doctors so, and this was from the hunter mum, why are doctors so quick to go on the pill um, to regulate your ovulation? So basically why do doctors prescribe the pill so quickly to regulate your your ovulation? Um, Firstly, I'm not going to go on a rant about doctors, but what I do want to say is that they're not trained to talk about like other, except for like some special doctors and some people that have done like that are more like functional doctors, but general GPs um, and even gynos and stuff, they are in uni. They're not taught about like, oh, estrogen dominance, have some turmeric. They are literally, when a woman comes to them with period problems, they are taught what is the best form of hormonal contraception to put you on for the results that you want or to make these problems go away. It is not a preventative. It is not going to fix an issue. Now, the reasons why doctors are so quick to go on the pill to regulate ovulation is either because they don't know that it stops ovulation or it depends between which doctors, right? Some doctors, um, they are unaware. And generally speaking, I know this for a fact, in most universities, they aren't taught a lot about the cycle and how it all works and how the pill works and that sort of stuff. So unless they've done their own reading, they don't really know about this topic in this area. And they're generally going off the information, the outdated information that they are given at university. This is a generalization, but this is for, I'm speaking to the doctors that are doing this, that are prescribing the pill when it is absolutely not needed. Bottom line is the pill does not regulate ovulation. I'm going to do another episode about the pill. The pill does not regulate ovulation. It does not regulate your cycle at all. It flatlines your hormones and it basically stops your brain from talking to your ovaries. It's scary. It fully overrides that connection and it stops your brain from telling your ovaries and vice versa what to do. So you do not ovulate on the pill at all and um, it is not something that you want to be going on to regulate ovulation. If you are not ovulating, it is a much deeper issue and the pill or any other hormonal birth control or hormones is not necessarily going to fix it at all, okay? Because there is a root problem going on within your brain that we need to fix. It's something going on with the brain to ovary um, communication pathway that's not happening as it should. Um, Okay. Um, Some other questions that aren't related to this, which I will answer another ones. Um, Okay. Um, Somebody also asks, is this method only effective if you have regular periods? Uh, well, it's more effective if you have regular ovulation. So this is where you need to understand your own cycle. If you are not having a regular cycle, then that is not okay. That is something that needs to be looked at and something that needs to be fixed because you should have a regular cycle anywhere between like 27 to 35 days. Um, if your regular cycle is every single time, you know, 35 days, that's great. It does not necessarily need to be 28 days, right? That's something that, again, we've been brainwashed to believe. Um, if your normal is 35 days, that's great for you. Go with that. If you are having irregular cycles, there is a root problem going on that needs to be addressed. And that's where doing one of my um, period problems programs, coming to a workshop, booking in with me for a session, that sort of stuff, that is what you need to be doing in order to regulate your cycle. It is not a ginormous, like lifelong issue if you address it, because I can guarantee you that you'll give me all of the information and I'll be able to pinpoint exactly what the problem is and where to go from with that. So make sure that you check out, check out my online programs. 
um, about turning off your period problems program. I'm going to also um, put together something for coming off birth control um, and also for um, getting your period back and regu- uh, making it regular and stuff. So make sure you keep an eye out for them if you're not already in one of them. Um, somebody said, what is it? So I've already covered what the fertility awareness method is. And there's a few other questions that I will answer in another podcast because they're not related to this one. And all the other questions I have answered, beautiful ladies. So I hope that you've learned a pile about the fertility awareness method. Um, if you have any questions, please, of course, DM me on Instagram or send me an email. Hello at monikeyates.com.au. And we will get back to you as soon as we can. Um, and yeah, all the questions that you send in are really great because I think what I'll start doing is actually a little bit of a and a um, episode where I can just answer some of the questions that I'm getting throughout the week so that you guys can get them answered because it's a lot easier for me to answer them. Um, then uh, reply via email or DM because I'm not much of a type where I prefer to talk. Um, actually, I might even be doing – I might even be just doing questions generally um, on my Instagram stories. So keep a lookout for any of them. If you've got any basic questions, throw me them on Instagram or whatever tickles your fancy. I hope this helps you ladies understand a bit more about fertility awareness method. Again, please don't be afraid of it. Please understand that you are only fertile when you have an egg there, um, and you need an egg. That, that, uh, you need an egg to be ready to rock and roll in order for it to be implanted. Which kind of sounds obvious now that you know we say it out loud. But I remember when I before I knew this, it was not obvious to me at all. I thought I could get pregnant at any time in the month. So just to recap, ladies, the fertility awareness method: the perfect use failure rate is zero point six percent, whereas the pills perfect use failure rate is zero point three percent. But the typical use failure rate, which is the one that we actually want to be looking at because we are a typical person, we are not a perfect person. The fertility awareness typical use failure rate is only 1.8%, whereas the pill's typical use failure rate is 9%. So much higher failure rate on the pill than the fertility awareness method when used properly. The main things you want to be looking out for is your waking body temperature, your cervical fluid changes, and your cervix changes. And getting my FemFlow uh, journal is really, really helpful because it allows you to chart it. Now, obviously, there are apps on the market that are also great to use, and um, I think they're fantastic if that suits your lifestyle and your needs. For me personally, I actually found by having to you know, go through the process of opening, getting my phone, remembering my phone one, getting my phone, opening it, typing in my password, finding the app and getting the app was enough of a deterrent for me to not start charting my symptoms and my cycle. Another point is that for a lot of apps, I think pretty much all of them, they own all your data and they sell it to massive companies for a lot of money to get your data about what your cycle is doing. And to me, I'm just like, whoa, like I get where that can be kind of helpful, but I'm also like, you know, a lot of these companies are profiting off women having horrendous periods. Think about it. People are profiting off people having bad periods. So um, I want you guys to understand that um, that's not the goal for me. I want everybody to just understand their period because at the end of the day, you know, you can heal yourself and you don't need drugs or anything massive to heal yourself. Um, so the facility, uh, my FemFlow journal is really helpful for tracking your cycle so you can understand your own cycle, understand your day of ovulation, and then um, be able to use the facility awareness method. So that is it for me today. Just make sure ladies with the facility awareness method that you start doing it for a good three months until you really understand your cycle. Uh, once you feel really confident with understanding your cycle, then you can use it predominantly as your birth control method. But otherwise, in the beginning, I would recommend it 
still using um, condoms or the pull-out method, the pull-out method is actually really effective, um, or using a diaphragm or a cervical cap. Um, but with, with the withdrawal method, when it's used properly, it has a perfect use failure rate of 4%. So as in 4% of women using it perfectly will get pregnant. So it's still pretty low. So, you know, um, that's also another option for you to be using when you're ovulating if you're not being too pedantic about it. Um, I wouldn't rely on it and I wouldn't rely on it um, if you're having sex multiple times in a row. You want to make sure that if you have sex multiple times in a row, your partner um, pees in between just to make sure that any um, leftover sperm is washed out and so you're all hunky-dory to keep going at it. Um, Cool. Well, that is basically the non-hormonal contraception method called fertility awareness method. Was that I said that right? Non-hormonal contraceptive method, the facility awareness method. Yes, I did did say that correctly. Um, If you have any questions, please send them through to me. Otherwise, have an amazing day and I will see you very soon. Oh, and just quickly side note, I know that I keep jumping between like podcast ideas and like how to give you guys the info. Like, do I do Mondays with Monica? Do I do Q&As? Do I do Q&As on my Instagram story? I just like to bounce ideas like out loud in the open. If you have a particular preference, I would love for you to send me an email or DM me. Um, because I have a really hard trouble just, I've got a lot of, like, I just can't decide on what the fuck to do. So, um, if somebody can decide for me, that'd be really effing helpful. And this is why I love it when like guys take control on dates and stuff. And when like, I don't have to pick shit because like, I'm so bad at picking shit. I'm so bad. I don't like deciding. It stresses me out. Anyway, that is enough talking for me today. I hope you guys learned a ton. Um, I'm going to go off and do, oh, it's 1 11 PM. I love seeing angel numbers. Um, I, I should do a podcast episode on Angel Numbers, shouldn't I? There we go, another bloody idea. Keep emailing me your ideas, guys, or keep telling me if that's a good idea that I mentioned on my podcast. Anyway, have an amazing day. I will talk to you later. Um, that's it from me. Bye. Well, thank you again for tuning in and listening to my podcast. I hope that you got lots of nuggets out of today's show. Uh, please, 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 I would be really grateful if you could leave me a review so that more women can find the podcast and therefore I can help more women understand their period and fix their period problems. Because after all, it's a much nicer life to live when we actually love our cycle because we do have to um, keep up with it every single month. Also, if you have any friends or loved ones that you think would enjoy my podcast, I'd be super grateful if you could send it to them as well just to share the love. And that's it for now. So I will catch you on the flip side. Have an amazing day or night wherever you are.